FireRecruitmentAustralia.com. Become a firefighter without wasting years of your life, time, money, and effort on things that won't work. Get the facts and what works. You're listening to the Fire Recruitment Australia podcast. So, Brent Clayton, you are the head of Fire Recruitment Australia. You do a podcast. I thought I'd chime in here and have a chat to you about the testings that a lot of people who are interested in being recruited as a firefighter go through. And a couple of them are the aptitude and cognitive testing, which you did a couple of previous episodes on where you spoke to a couple of experts who gave you some pointers about how to succeed in these testings or how to be prepared for these testings. Can you kind of elaborate on what these tests are and uh, why are they called different things by different recruiters? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so aptitude and cognitive tests are essentially the same thing and, and a lot of the time they'll just uh, be named aptitude or cognitive depending on sort of what service you're going, uh, you know, looking to be recruited by and what provider they're using, you know, this year or whatever. So some of them refer to it as a cognitive test, which is basically brain function or brain ability, and aptitude is much the same thing. So really it's just a, just a naming thing that, uh, you know, depends on the company or the service of the day. So, yeah, hopefully that sort of nails that one down for you. <laughs> Thank you, Brent. I do feel a little bit more enlightened there. Uh, you were talking, <laughs> you mentioned this in one of the podcasts too. I think it was the last one. Some of these tests, uh, there's obviously a lot of things that are communicated through the recruiters to the potential candidate who's going for these tests. Like, oh, you know, you can't study for this. You can't prepare for this. But there actually is a way that you can prepare for aptitude and cognitive. Can you give us some ways of how to do that? Yeah, well, absolutely. So a lot of the time they'll say that you can't sort of improve your um, outcome on, say, like the psych component of this testing, which is used in conjunction with the cognitive and aptitude, um, which right. is not true if you sort of got the right training. But as far as improving on um, your, your aptitude or your cognitive score, that can absolutely be done and that's sort of what what we train people to do every day of the week um, in the quickest sort of possible format with the, the least sting, so the least amount of sort of pain and effort required to get the biggest uh, gains in your cognitive or your aptitude ability. So, yeah, that's that's absolutely something that you can improve on for sure. How do most people prepare for these tests, Brent? Is there something that you've noticed in your experience that people tend to do? If you look at the sort of stats of what most people do and what you should do, um, the, the stats are that you need to be in the sort of anywhere from the top 1% to the top sort of 5% thereabouts. So if you just sort of put a, an wow. umbrella over the whole thing and go, we need to get to the top you know, 5% thereabouts as, a, as an aim, what most people do is probably what you shouldn't do. So if we're trying to get into the extraordinary range or better than everyone else, you have to be doing something different to what everybody else is doing. Does that sort of make sense? Absolutely. So when you mean doing something different to what everyone else is doing, how can you give yourself the best shot at doing that? Well, I suppose what I witness and you know do sometimes myself in parts of life is you might not approach something with enough sort of respect for the difficulty level of, of what it is. So um, first of all, it's sort of about deciding that you are in fact going to 
uh, set this as a goal and make sure that you absolutely commit to, to getting your score up to where it needs to be to pass. Um, and that, you know, that involves sort of setting, a top, setting aside some time in advance so that it's not just, oh, let's have a crack at it this week because uh, we've got some spare time and next week when we don't have some spare time or it gets left by the wayside for a sort of a start. So really committing, I reckon, is is something pretty big. A lot of people will commit for a little bit and then give up for a little bit and it's a bit like a gym membership or something like that. Um, <laughs> We're all too familiar with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people do is they'll be like, oh, okay, I need to get better at, you know, uh, maths, English or whatever it is. It might be um, mechanical sort of stuff or spatial reasoning. So they'll get on Google and they'll Google, you know, free mechanical tests or whatever. The problem with that is that's sort of what everybody's doing. Um, right. Which is probably going to put you in the everybody else pile at the end of the day. And what we look to do is... Get the specific questions that your service is asking currently so that you're not wasting your time learning, you know, algebraic equations when they don't, in fact, test on that at all. So does that make sense? We're looking to just improve on the stuff that you need to improve on so that you can progress through, you know, this part of the testing without, you know, um, wasting time, energy and resources, which a lot of people don't have, particularly as you start to get older and have kids and a family and stuff like that. So that's right. another massive thing. So, yeah. Right. It's great that you go all in on the things that need to be known and the fact that you kind of point people in the direction of that too to kind of let them stand out as well rather than being on the ra- or under the radar, you kind of making them stand out. Another thing that you mentioned or the experts that you've spoken to previously have mentioned is it's kind of like the gym analogy that you used before, Brent, like when you have a gym membership and say if you're training for a marathon, the best way to train for a marathon is to kind of put your body in a situation where it's training up to running 42 kilometers or in that situation where it's running 42 kilometers repeatedly so it knows okay come marathon day i'm really prepared for this so in the same way with tests it's kind of important for people or candidates to put themselves in a position where they do these tests under test conditions would you suggest that as well you're spot on and and i do remember the point in one of the previous episodes you're talking about and it's something that i get all of my students that I work with to do. So it's, if you're not familiar with the testing environment that you're going to be faced with, but you've been, you know, studying in the corner of your office at home or, or whatever or in the lounge with your partner or, you know, in front of the TV, and you've never been exposed to the environment that you're going to be doing it in, then your performance on the day when it matters will most likely be affected by an increase in stress levels just because you're not familiar with it. Even if it's the on-home, at-home-on-the-computer thing, you might have sort of been practising with your kids running around or, you know, your partner cooking dinner and speaking to you halfway through, which is not the same as it's going to be on the day. So that's absolutely a good analogy with the, the marathon thing. So... If, if you're running on the road in the marathon, there's no point running down, you know, I don't know, the, the beach or the dirt road. <laughs> the more familiar you can be, it's the same with the interview sort of side of things down the track. You need to get yourself familiar with the environment that you're going to be under the most stress uh, 
you know, with. So that is definitely a big point. So, yeah. Because obviously with, with this sort of test setting, because it's kind of an environment where, you know, you're, you're timed, most of the time you're timed to, you know, produce results in, you know, X amount of time. Confidence does play a huge part in it and stress, on the other hand, to counter that can actually deter you completely. So what you feel that you are familiar with or you may have read 50 times, when stress kind of kicks in, it's all gone. Absolutely, it, it, and it, it's every part of our life demonstrates this. But I don't think people give it the, um, you know, they don't give it the respect that it deserves as, as far as a practicing tool. It's like we drive a car automatically, and we're not scared because we're used to it. But the first day you got your owls or whatever, you were a bit frightened when you got in there. But the more familiar you are <laughs> with that environment, we do it automatically. So that's a it's a really big one that a lot of people don't even consider. So contrary to what you're communicated, Brent, by some recruitment agencies where they say, oh, you know, you can't really study for this test, you really do have a choice into how easy or difficult you could make these circumstances for yourself. Uh, definitely. And if you sort of, well, firstly commit and then structure the way you're going to do everything and line up all your ducks, I suppose, it, it just takes the stress um, and, and the time commitment that you would have otherwise needed out of it and makes it as, I don't know, as, as sort of enjoyable as possible if, if that, if you can, if it can be enjoyable, <laughs> relearning maths and stuff like that. So definitely. What are some of the common, like, I guess, what are some of the common mistakes you've seen or the common, I, I guess, give me some examples, Brent. So the common pitfalls that you've seen and the common the common factors that you've seen that have enabled people to succeed. So give me, like, both ends of the spectrum. Like, what, what have the successful people done and yeah, what are the people yeah. who haven't done their best done? Well, the, the really common pitfall that I see, like, time and time again is people doing the same thing and expecting a different result, like, you hear that a lot of the time, and it's like, well, mate, what, what are you doing different to last year and nothing and, and you know, you're not doing anything different but you want a different result. It's not going not gonna to work. You really need to probably step back, have a look at what you're doing and is it, am I doing the same thing? Because um, you're probably going to get the same result if you're doing the same thing. So that's a really massive one. Another another big one that I sort of covered before is the practicing any old any old questions like, you know, grabbing a book from the library or most people just Google, you know, uh, free tests or whatever, which is it's not bad, but if you're looking to be competitive quickly, like in a short period of time, it's not great. Like if you just want to build your sort of base knowledge back up because you you know haven't been at school for fifteen years or something like that, then yeah, that's okay. But I'm talking about getting results quickly. So practicing the wrong questions, and then also not having a mechanism to improve your um, you know your sort of weaknesses. So a lot of people are like, oh, I'm no good at maths but I won't do anything about it. They don't have a mechanism to actually improve their ability to, you know, increase their score. So they're doing a lot of work but 
they're still not getting better at what they have identified as a weakness. That makes sense. Mm, No, that makes perfect sense. I think the key here is the more that you can identify your points of weakness, which is ultimately the vehicle to that is through practice and putting yourselves in situations that mirror the situation that you're going to be in, the quicker you can identify your weaknesses and be like, all right, I need to allocate more time to this particular area of learning. So that kind of accelerates your chances of getting into the top five. Absolutely. Like the, the system that I use has mechanisms at every point along the way so that you can identify, then improve in those areas and then sort of turn it up a bit with coaching if you need it. So that's probably another a place where people fall down as it's like, right, I'm no good at maths, so how am I going to fix it? And it's gets a bit too hard at that point, so they just go, I'll just wing it again and see what happens. When if they just got a little bit of help in that area, it might just turn it up enough to pop them up into that few percent, which comes back to what I said initially, to to get into the extraordinary percentage, you need to be doing extra than the average guys. So, yeah. Does that sort of make sense? Absolutely. So to get out of the ordinary, you have to do extra to become extraordinary. Do you like that cheesy line, Brent? But it's sort of, it's just true, you know what I mean? Like if you want to be in the elite percentile, you can't just do what everyone else is doing. You've got to you got to kick it up and, and do a bit extra unless you're just super talented and, you know, uh, have a, you know, a bit of a shine for this sort of thing or whatever. But if we're just talking about aptitude testing, unless you've just rolled out of school or you're naturally really good at it, um, you need to do more than average to get a job that is more than average. Exactly. So I think it's just a really good thing to, to think about if you're on the road to, you know, looking at getting this job that's really competitive, well, maybe I need to do more than the average or the other 95% if I'm actually thinking that I'm worthy of getting into that top few percent. So that's sort of what I'm saying there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense, Brett. And I think a lot of people, when they go for these sorts of roles um, and they want to put their hands up for candidacy, they say to themselves, oh, you know, that would be a great job. The pay is great. Sometimes if they do, and I remember you mentioning this in the past couple of podcasts, sometimes if you go for these tests and you fail, is there a, a limit of the time that you can go back and retake it? Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, this sort of covers a couple of things, but... Different services at different times come up with different rules. So I know that in South Australia they've got a limit um, at the moment, so that can change down the track. But if you happen to, you know, have three goes or whatever it is and miss out on the same thing, well, you have to sit out for, I think, it's a long time. And the same is in Victoria at the moment. A few of them don't have limits, but with that in mind, I'd like to, if it was my first go, give myself, uh, you know, the best chance possible straight up because, you know, if it, if it was three times or whatever it is, you just want to get it in the bag straight away so that you can concentrate on, um, you know, other more fruitful things in the recruitment process like, you know, demonstrating how good you'd be at the job or whatever. So it's so just something that... If you can get it right first go or if you've had a few goes and you might be down the track and it is your last go or whatever, 
giving yourself the best chance possible instead of just, you know, doing the same thing and expecting something different. So, you know, and that can be life-changing too if you if you get in or you miss out. Well, it's, it's a, you're going to have a different sort of life um, moving forward. So, yeah, it's a pretty significant uh, point you raise there, Ginny. It's interesting how you mentioned about, you know, getting it right the first time and focusing on, you know, the other fruitful things we have going on in life. What would you say, Brent, is the ideal lead time to allow yourself to prepare for a test? Like, for example, if I wanted to go for an aptitude or cognitive test, how long should I give myself that's optimal for me to study for that test? Because I know if you say if you do it too quickly, it's not enough time. And if you leave it too long, it's too much time. So what would you recommend is a sweet spot? for that sort of timing? Well, so everybody is at different levels, you know, um, all the time. So you've, people start at different levels. But overall, like if somebody comes and we've got at least a couple of months up up your sleeve, I like three months would be ideal just in case you're really struggling in an area and you need some sort of real fundamental help in maths or an English sort of thing, I like to have at least, you know, that three-month thing before the recruitment starts because there's other little processes that I'll get started with you in that time frame as well that are good to have in the bank before the service opens up recruitment, which is that's another massive, massive thing people muck up. It's like... Uh, I'll get inundated with emails the the day recruitment opens, and it's like, mate, <laughs> <laughs> I can help you, but uh, yeah, you're really gonna want to dig your heels in, or and a lot of the time, they might only have a week or ten days or something, which is it's a pretty big ask. But you know, if you've got the right questions and the right mechanisms in place, you can do something. You know, but. Answer your question, three months, 12 weeks is ideal for me. Right. So what would you say are the key takeaways from this, uh, from the tips that you're giving to prepare for these tests and to ensure that people end up in the top 5% so they get noticed by recruiters? What would you say are the key takeaways, Brent? The key sort of takeaways for me is that decide if this is something that you actually can and want to commit to so that You've got the right attitude and the fuel in the tank to see it through. So, first of all, then get the right questions and the right system so that you can increase your ability and pass the test and actually get into the percentage where you're going to get to go through and do the the rest of the um, recruitment selection process. Um, Have a mechanism for improving on those questions and you know, make sure that you, you utilise any help and, and reach out for help if you need it before it's too late. Another sort of big takeaway is um, making sure that you've got the time to do the work and in, improve on it. So booking that time in advance like it's, a, you know, an activity um, or a, like you do with your mates if you're going down the pub Friday night or whatever it is, book it in and treat it seriously. Have the mechanisms to have the so that you can improve rapidly, and yeah, those if you sort of follow those keys, you'll be in a really really good spot by the time the the test comes around, so that you don't continually sit on the sidelines, you know, frustrated and wondering, you know, if you'll ever get there. Um, if you sort of follow those 
key steps that I've outlined there, that's that'll get you sort of the best opportunity you can have to on test day rock up nice, calm and confident and go in and actually post your best score. So the, the score that you're capable of, you'll be able to get that out of doing those things. Great. And Brent, you were saying that you're going to provide us with an example. Probably my favourite example is a guy, it's on the, um, he's in the testimonial area on the website. But the reason why I use this example is because this is a guy that um, he missed out five or six years in a row up in New South Wales. And it was, yeah, yeah, I know. It's a significant wow. uh, like time chunk out of your life and a significant, um, you know, time that you could have yeah. been building a career. So uh, let's say it's five years that he's missed out and He's reached out to me and we've basically ran him through the process that I've talked about, um, about using the right questions, getting the rapid improvement through the, the coaching, uh, finding out the weaknesses and then getting into the right environment so that you're not stressed on the day. And that very same year that we started working, he got straight through the, the test and got a spot, um, you know, with Fire Rescue New South Wales. His name's Trent. Uh, and I just like him because that the New South Wales wow. Fire Service is it's the hardest in in the country, and he went from not oh, wow. even getting a look in, so not even getting past that to do the next lot of testing, to getting a job in in that same you know just by using the process that I use with with my coaching guys um, in one year. So. Yeah, that's a significant difference. Five years on the sidelines or one year of doing the right thing and he's in. So that that's a really, really good story, that one. So yeah. Fantastic. Well, five to six, like when you think about five years, that's, yeah, a significant time out of your career. And also five years is almost the entire time that you spend at a particular branch of schooling in your life too, like, you know, primary school or secondary. So it's quite significant. And Obviously, for him, that was probably a costly process until he came to you. Speaking of, what is the cost for all of this, Brent? Uh, the, oh, so I don't sort of – I'll look at it as a what's the cost of not doing something, you know what I mean? Like, right. If you look at yeah. um, uh, Trent, the guy we just talked about, you can – like if you get a job with the fire service, you can almost be up in the – station management period in, in a six-year block. So, like, I'll look at the cost of, uh, you know, reduction in sort of where you're at in your career uh, and the lifestyle that the, the fire service provides. So, like, you get good holidays and stuff like that as well. So it's the cost is in, in not doing anything, if that makes sense, um, and missing mm-hmm lifestyle and the mateship and camaraderie and the, also the career progression and experience um, in the time that you could be there earlier. So that's the real cost I see. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I reckon. Fantastic. Brett, that's awesome tips there. I think um, you've really highlighted some of the takeaways that people can apply to ensuring that they have the best shot at this test and also some examples where if you don't, um, what it could actually cost you, which is time really, which is the greatest asset we have. Yeah, yeah you, you can't buy that stuff really. So 
You're listening to the Fire Recruitment Australia podcast. Visit firerecruitmentaustralia.com.